Welcome to Screen Quest, a podcast where a fellowship of film lovers and armchair movie experts plays film roulette. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Waterman, joined by my fellow party members, Mae Finch. Hello, hello. And Will Rotondi. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to the podcast. On today's episode, we will be talking about 1989's Christmas Vacation. We'll also be drawing a side quest, as usual. Uh, we have another round of Pitch Storm, which we haven't played in a while. But first, we wanted to celebrate the anniversary of Return of the King, which was released uh, this day in 2003. So happy birthday to Return of the King. Uh, as kind of a little sneak peek into our personal lives, uh, May and I are currently working through the trilogy with a group of our friends uh, in person. Uh, and I cannot wait to get to this one because it's long, but it is such a great payoff. Yeah, I haven't seen I haven't seen most of the Lord of the Rings movies since I was a kid up until this like recent rewatch we're doing with our friends. And I'm realizing that uh, the Fellowship is the only one I remember clearly. The rest of it is just like a bunch of like battle scenes. I think I might have gotten bored during when I was a kid. <laughs> So I'm excited to watch this as an adult and uh, actually figure out what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely a sliding scale that goes from like quaint to epic as you get a little further, you know, into the trilogy. So I, I'm not surprised that battles are where your memory immediately goes. I think that's what stands out probably in both of those films because they are both the battles are quite long. Um but yeah, like, I, I don't know, like, I have such a fond memory, uh, even the unextended version of Return of the King. I saw it midnight the night it came out back when you couldn't reserve a seat, like you had to get to the theater and stand <laughs> in line like hours before the movie started. So you weren't stuck in the front row. And I want to say they put it on like at least like four or five screens, like simultaneously that night so that like they could accommodate the maximum amount of people. And I think like unextended or like even the unextended version is like three hours and 40 minutes or something. So um, it was nearly sunrise, basically, by the time like we like got out of the the movies and got done talking. And it was a school night. And I remember being very tired and you could spot the all the little nerds who had gone to see it like at school the next morning because everyone was very bleary eyed and uh, it was worth every second. It was such a great crowd movie because it's the end right so like there's just payoff after payoff i i remember the cheers i won't say at which sections because i don't want to like you know tailor your uh yet to be had experience with it but uh i have very fond memories of, of this as like a theatrical experience because it was just so special did you go see it in theaters will i did um i actually got to see it in the theater when i went to visit my friends in germany um, I used to live in Germany for about four years back when I was uh, uh, in like middle into high school because uh, my dad was in the army. And after that, after we come back stateside, I'd go back at Christmas to go see some folks. And I got the pleasure of seeing it in the in the theater in Germany. Uh, it was an English screening. 
And it was really nice that they allowed us an intermission so that everybody could go to the bathroom halfway through, because I don't know if I would have been able to have made it through like the epic battle at the end, um, the way that it was. So that was actually pretty awesome. And it was sort of at that time, the theater that we were in was kind of like stadium seating is now. I mean, back then it wasn't a thing in the in the U.S., but it's sort of like that today. And so that was really cool, too. I mean, like big, almost like IMAX size screen. So, yeah, it was awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, when you saw this, uh, May, were you uh, like in the theaters or was this something you watched like home home video? Oh, this was, this was definitely at home, um, which is also part of why I don't remember it very well, because I'm pretty sure I got bored during the battle scenes and just like went to go play with a toy or something. <laughs> <laughs> totally makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, I'm looking forward to the four hour and 10 minute uh, iteration that we're going to be watching for our <laughs> watch party. We will certainly build in an intermission or two probably for for this film. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll maybe report back, like once we're done with our, uh, viewing, cause I would like to get your impressions on the podcast as well as of course, in, in person, be fun to hear you report back, uh, on what you make of these things, you know, 20 ish years, uh, since they've been made. So, all right. Absolutely. Well, side quest time. Let's give these the old shuffle and see what we get. It is a Deus Ex Machina. So let me pull up my uh, description for this. Since it may have been a little bit since we've had one of these. The description is as follows. Talk about a moment in a film where you could no longer suspend disbelief for the sake of the plot, <laughs> character, etc. I mean, I have one, but it's a show, not a movie. It's okay. I, I think we're in the still in arguably like the the golden age of like TV streaming, although some people would agree we're past that, like, but there's still yeah. quality stuff. So, so I would say go for it. We'll, we'll okay. Lie. So first of all, I, I love, I love arcane. All right. Mm, the Netflix yes. league of legends, uh, animated show, um, for the art, if nothing else, like, Oh my God, it's beautifully animated. I think it has really good character design, compelling story. Maybe this is just because I haven't played the game that it's like based off of, but I have a real problem with the world building because there is this conflict between like the topsiders and the people that live in the kind of like the grimy underworld, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's what most of the other like smaller interpersonal conflicts are based off of. But it's it it's like clearly in a situation like that, the topsiders are getting something from that underworld, I can like financially or economically, right? That's never discussed in the in like the show, and like that that would be their main bargaining chip. Also, like would would be like strikes and collective action and that kind of thing. And there's just nothing with that. It's all this um, like kind of like acts of stochastic terrorism between the two groups. And it's like, what if 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 the topsiders truly aren't relying on like the underground city for anything? Then why even like bother with them? And that just consistently bothered me through all the things. It's a small detail, but I think it bothered me more because I also do writing and world building. And <laughs> I was like, hold up a second. <laughs> yeah, that's not an unfair point. Um, I don't have an answer for you, but you know who would know is our mutual friend, Bree. 
yeah um, who is like an expert at league of legends so i'm sure if we asked Bree, she would be happy to enlighten us and maybe that could uh lighten the load off, off your shoulders <laughs> or you know um, remove that uh suspension of disbelief a little bit hopefully they address it more in the sequel it's otherwise such a great show but anytime they're talking about that central conflict between the topsiders and the underworld i'm like i can't care about this because you're ignoring like the most basic bargaining chip you have which is financial <laughs> yeah but i agree with you that there's certain points here and there where it's just if for me i would i, I guess I, I would nitpick at it like when you mentioned arcane the first thing that came to my mind um is how when somebody always has like a really powerful weapon and they like beat the crap out of somebody else like instantly like insta kill and then two seconds later your protagonist gets like you know the crap kicked out of him but there's not the same sort of like attack speed that because what was it when the like the first three episode little segment where and i'm totally gonna forget everybody's name so i'm not even gonna try but like in the first three segment or three episodes uh segment where you've got some of the bad guy henchmen or like the folks from the undercity that get like infected with that, you know, that serum and they become like big hulking, you know, attack guys. And they beat the crap out of like some guards in like a second and they're dead. But then when the main character who's trying to find what well, is before she and her sister get separated. So when she's trying to like duke it out with them, then suddenly they're slower <laughs> <laughs> or they can't do as much damage to her. And like, they try to choke her and i'm thinking that to me i mean i get it maybe he got tired but i don't know it just it, it's one of those like tropes i feel like happens a lot in action movies where like the bad guy has like a superpower or has some sort of super strength that just like diminishes very quickly and so i, I don't know that that's where i kind of get nitpicky about but again you know there there could be reason for it I would agree with you. I think that it is valid um, as just a basic plot point to understand like the dynamic of why this has become this way. You know, it's sort of like, well, yeah, I mean, it, it would be good to know. I agree with you on on what you find to be um, a plot hole. Yeah, it, it's I, because uh, of her armor. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I, <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. It's plot armor. You're yeah, talking I mean, about. that's a joke I was going to make. She's got a very common but powerful armor that's called plot armor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. Great minds, right? <laughs> um, I You know, nitpicks aside, I do think the show does a pretty remarkable job for like somebody like me who knows next to nothing about that video game that has a lot of lore. Like, more or less like getting you caught up i i do hope they explore more of that relationship in the subsequent seasons because I, I i'm interested in stuff like that i know it's a hard line to to walk or balance of we want to uh, you know pull casual people in but also make our hardcore fans happy and you don't want to like over explain too much too soon. So I, I get that, but I, I I'm 100% with you may. I think I could use a little bit more context for Is where the... the actual conflict lays or like, wh where's the, like, I don't know, like where, like, as you said, wh what is the, uh, it that the lower city people have that the upper city people need? So like, what are they f actually fighting about other than just class differences, which is fine. I mean, that's reason enough to fight, I suppose. But yeah. Yeah. But like, I want to know the basis of that class difference. And also, how do, how do the top sliders have all their wealth? Like, that's got to come from somewhere. 
<laughs> whether it's like stolen or shitty labor practices like where's where's the money coming from follow they've the done money. more side quests that's that's what it is the, <laughs> the lower city people are people that skip the side quests. that's that's what it is <laughs> well very cool thanks for sh- uh, sharing me i uh I, I love having the occasional tv uh stuff in there because i, I you know i think especially good television has become an excellent way to tell a long form story without say having your friends come over three weekends in a row to watch movies that are three hours <laughs> plus um, <laughs> to harken back to our, our initial uh, topic there. But so national lampoons Christmas vacation. Uh, let's talk about this movie released in 1989 written by John Hughes and uh, directed by Hold please, Jeremiah S. Chechik, Chechik, who uh, I was like, I've never heard of this guy. What else has he done? The only other notable thing that I could find was the Avengers, and not like the Marvel Avengers, but <laughs> the other Avengers movie with Uma Thurman. And oh, uh, yeah, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. It's kind yeah, of like Ray a, Fiennes, the yeah. yeah, off the TV yeah. show. Oh, yep. Cool. Wait, U- Uma Thurman is an Avenger. Where can I watch this? <laughs> Uh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure where you can find the bad now. guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. which was a, a largely, I think, um, a flop, like right when it came out. Like certainly people saw it, but I can't recall having talked to a single person in the last 15 years that's ever mentioned that movie <laughs> before yeah, now. That but... thing came out in in 98. Wow, that's a blast for the past. Because I do remember watching this on more than one occasion. Huh. Yeah. I don't know if you can stream it right now. Though. Wow. It is available sure. on YouTube. So as long as it there doesn't have a garish red filter, I will be watching this later. <laughs> Maybe Sweet. that'll add to the experience. For me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I digress. Uh, this is the third film in the National Lampoon Vacation series. The first two of which were National Lampoon's Vacation and National Lampoon's European Vacation. It stars Chevy Chase, uh, Beverly D'Angelo, Randy Quaid, Juliette Lewis, uh, John Galecki, and has a supporting cast consisting of Brian Doyle Murray, uh, Bill Murray's brother, the guy with the raspy voice. He plays the boss. Uh, Julie Louis-Dreyfus, Nicholas Guest, who I just found out was the brother of Christopher Guest. That's the uh, other snotty neighbor, the uh, the yuppie neighbor that was next mm-hmm. to the Griswolds. John Randolph, Diane Ladd, and May Questel, who plays uh, Aunt <laughs> Bethany. And um, I'm not sure if you guys are aware of this, but uh, her, her voice sounds familiar. She was the voice of Betty Boop and Olive Oil in the original cartoons. So um, very distinct voice. And uh, I think has a great role in this for her small amount of screen time. My other quick little production uh, tidbits are the music was by Angelo Badalamenti, who we just lost, the composer of Twin Peaks and other David Lynch uh, films. So R.I.P. Um, again, a bizarre thing. I've seen this movie, I don't know, dozens of times and never knew that or paid attention to it, I guess. Uh, and then, of course, uh, probably the uh, least surprising, but like, um, uh, like I guess, uh, interesting p- bit of trivia is that Chris Columbus was originally attached to direct this, but left to make Home Alone after he realized in the pre-production phase that he could not work with Chevy Chase, which becomes a theme in Chevy Chase's career over and over again until he's basically declared um, just toxic uh, completely. He is he is Hollywood poison at this point. Nobody will work with him. 
Um, so not surprised there, but uh, without, I guess, him leaving this project, we may not have gotten the home alone that we know and love. So, hey, every cloud has a silver lining, I guess. Uh, so are la- you saying uh, Chevy Chase's character is uh, <laughs> maybe a bit... Uh... Too close to the actor himself. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna talk about that because I I do have a character whiplash um like topic here. I do want to discuss uh, Clark Griswold, um as a, a specifically as a character. The my last little bit of production trivia that again I learned this time just in preparation for the podcast is uh the yuppie neighbor's house. So Julie Louis Dreyfus and Nicholas Guest. Uh, is actually the Murtaugh family house from all four Lethal Weapon movies uh, because it is filmed on the Warner Brothers back lot. So they big studios typically have like a neighborhood that's just built with facades. So if it looks recognizable, that is why, um, which I thought was kind of cool. Um, all right, let's let's jump into it. I want to get uh, initial impressions and let me see what order you guys are in my layout. And I'm just going to go vertical again. All right. That puts May up first. So May, hit me with your impressions of Christmas Vacation. Uh, this is a movie that I think if you just watched like a five minute clip of it, like any five minute clip, you could tell exactly what year it came out. And <laughs> um. I thought like there there's some classic gags in here. Uh, I would say like half the jokes aged like milk for me, but there were some pretty cool iconic scenes. I uh, the road rage scene is a pretty strong opener, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I enjoyed the ending with the 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 reindeer getting uh, blown up by waste fumes. <laughs> sent off to the star spangled banner which is yeah (laughs) yeah honestly that was great and um that yeah that's all i gotta say (laughs) totally fine i'm sure we'll get into it more uh will it's been a while since you've seen this so what did you make of it on uh you know a rewatch with a little bit of separation you know, it's funny. I don't know if I've actually legitimate when I was watching it, I realized I don't think I've seen it completely. I think that I've seen bits and pieces over the years and rewatching it or watching it for the first time in its entirety. I, I could definitely say that it's not really it's not it, from an entertainment perspective. It's not really my jam, um, but that's mostly because I'm not big into cringe comedy and I feel like even though maybe this wasn't what it was considered back then when this film came out for me these days, it feels like it's in the realm of cringe comedy. And I was kind of reading a little bit more about like why, why cringe is sort of entertaining to some folks to understand why it is that I don't like it. And I came across an interesting article that basically said that since cringe is very much like it has to be humor, that's relatable enough to the audience that they can feel like it would be somebody they know. But at the same time, it's sort of like the spectrum of you either fall in line with the folks that over empathize with the characters that are dealing with it. And so you feel embarrassed for them or like you actively feel like you're in the room with them while it's going on. Or you get the other folks that find it funny because they can detach themselves from that to the extent of they're just watching this train wreck happen and they find it funny because it's happening to somebody else, but it's not them. And so I just there are parts where I can't. I can't detach myself enough. I think that's why I don't like other 
sort of like traditional cringe comedy like um fleabag or or to some extent like meet the parents as a film example like it's the one i was gonna just, bring up yeah <laughs> yeah it's like i just feel so bad for him like if i had to go through that and especially like some of the humor today like you mentioned the road rage stuff i mean like today we have so much of that that's like we you can see it just in youtube clips of people just losing their stuff that it's like it might have been funny back then but it's sort of it's a little too real for me now with how bad some folks drive out there and so it's like that uh we'll probably talk a little bit more um about it so i won't go too much further other than like you know some of the sexual innuendo is is awkward um to say the least if not just way inappropriate now by today's standards and <laughs> just some of the interactions with the family members man where you're just like i don't know for me it gets grating however to play devil's advocate if from the perspective of cringe i think it does very well at what it does do which if that's the point then yes you have succeeded and i have to say hands down Anne bethany is my favorite when she starts like <laughs> you mentioned the star spangled banner but wasn't she like reciting the pledge of allegiance yeah. when they asked her to say grace and i was like yes <laughs> this is awesome and from a purely slapstick perspective because i do actually like slapstick more than cringe i will say that watching ah uh, was it it was when uh clark gets the 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 sled and he goes down the hill and like flies through traffic i think stuff to like that i found much more entertaining because it was just so completely over the top um that it didn't really feel as awkward as some of the other social interactions so i, that is my I totally very agree long with you yeah on that one will <laughs> like the i think i do think like the snow sledding scene was the one that actually had me laughing out loud <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah I, I always like it's interesting that so these movies are so different from one another like all the vacation films tonally mm -hmm. like they recast the kids like every film uh <laughs> sometimes they don't seem to get much older even though like a decade plus will go by like sometimes which is weird um but the one thing that's always persisted is that he's like a food additive scientist, which doesn't gel at all with like like who you like the man that you spend time with. Doesn't mm. strike me as somebody who's like particularly, I don't know, like scientific. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, I always thought it was a weird occupation, but they build it into things like the sledding, you know, scene where he's adding, you know, that's what it is. It's a chemical they've been playing around with at work. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, so this is like one of those films that <clears throat> I always give kind of a disclaimer where I'm like, hey, I love this. It's a movie I watch every year uh, for Christmas, but I recognize that like I grew up on it. So there is like a lot of rose colored glasses effect, I'm sure, uh, with it. Um, I also think that it's such a shame I mean, Chevy Chase like was brilliant at like what he did it's physical comedy especially like that guy has um a great ability to you know expressions and sort of like body postures like him whacking himself in the face like in the attic you know like little bits <laughs> like that like he was always really good at that stuff some of that dry like delivery uh, so it is kind of a shame he's a prick in real life and like again that's been sort of confirmed several times over it's like not even um, a surprise when you another like difficult story comes up about him. People are like, yeah, sure. Um, that being said, uh, I do love this movie. I recognize that. Yeah, a lot of it hasn't aged particularly like well, but it's one of those things I'm going to just kind of like be like, oh, 80s. Am I right? I don't know. <laughs> like, 
Um, <laughs> and again, we'll talk about Clark specifically as a character because I do get whiplash. Like in really all of these films, like there are kind of repeated sequences of like either near infidelity or like infidelity fantasies. And um, uh, it, it makes it hard, I think, as a modern audience to put really like empathize with him as a character. But um, it is one of my favorite movies, probably because I grew up with like a functional, dysfunctional like family, if that makes sense. Uh, so kind of back to what Will was saying of being able to like really sort of like this is familiar like this was familiar i had a very large family just even on my mom's side alone there was a lot of like it, you know it a bunch of roman catholic italians like like everyone kind of yelling over each other things going sideways all of that stuff like in a the way that makes will feel uncomfortable actually makes me feel comfortable in a way because i'm like i have a lot of memories that are like this and it's not things going sideways particular that like you know, you look back on with fondness, but it's sort of getting through those things together, right? Like kind of telling a story about a disaster at a family gathering or vacation that ends up working out okay. Like, I think that's the part of it that uh, I've always sort of latched onto and appreciated about this film because I had many family gatherings and uh, <laughs> vacations that weren't uh, smooth, but uh, because of sort of our love for one another and everyone just kind of eventually pulling together it ended up working out more or less even if it wasn't perfect kind of stuff you can laugh about in hindsight so uh, but it's interesting so, i think oh go ahead i was just going to interject real quick so that makes me think about the line that he has at the very end that says i made it have you had an i made it moment at a get together many times <laughs> yeah yeah. Awesome. And I, I think that like that's the stuff that stands out. Not not to put I, I was gonna say we should do a uh a Will's um, you know, like uh psychiatric corner like segment now, like uh on this. It's like, always gonna come up <laughs> every time, every time. But to put myself on the couch, so to speak, for a moment here, um, you know, I, I do think like uh the fact that a lot of those things as crazy and as boisterous and as like I don't know, like rough as some of those gatherings could be i do have a lot of memories of like kind of you know sometimes in that big family people being quick to anger but also quick to forgive like a lot of like sort of hugging and like i'm sorry like at the end which is like you know i think that uh that helps um you know look back at those gatherings with a little bit of humor and you know overall goodwill and so uh yeah that's why this movie kind of speaks to me in a lot of ways i think but uh so let's get into uh, some of the nitty gritty. I just realized I forgot to recap the plot, but I think you could describe this movie as more or less like it's the loose plot is just uh, a man trying to have a large Christmas gathering at his house. Everything is going wrong. And the film is basically just a series of vignettes of like one disaster after another. That's pretty accurate, right? Like everything from decorating to meals um you know, to family dynamics, nothing seems to work out and his frustration level increases. And then there's sort of just a little, a side plot that carries it through where he's waiting on a Christmas bonus check to put in a, to put in a pool. Right. So that, there's your quick recap. But um, I wanted to start off by asking everybody who their favorite character was. I'm pretty sure for none of us, it's going to be Clark. So <laughs> may, do you have a favorite character? I, I I kind of like the, the I'm blanking on his name, but the the brother who comes in on the RV. Oh, cousin Eddie, yeah, <laughs> cousin yeah. Eddie, yeah. That's the correct choice. 
<laughs> well, just because like he's I mean, he's a good foil to Clark, obviously, because it's like he's completely unfazed about anything. And like it's it's instead of him making plans that go wrong, he doesn't have any plans and <laughs> <laughs> still manages to screw things up. Um, but yeah, he's good comic relief. I think he's funny. Uh, arguably kinder and more well-intentioned than Clark. <laughs> Um, and is responsible for that stunning finale with the uh, reindeer. So I think I'm gonna have to pick Eddie. <laughs> yeah, the older I get, the more I kind of sympathize with him as a character. Like, yeah, he has comic relief as well. But I'm like, I think you could argue you might be a better person than Clark Griswold in a lot of ways. Like, he's yeah. kind of used as a bit of a like, not really punching bag, but like he he's the buffoon, right? Like of mm-hmm. the movie. Um, yet like he seems to have some better qualities. We'll get into that. But he also, I think, has some of the best lines in the film as well. Like, I love that. I wish we had that money back that we paid the preacher that was screwing the hockey player. And and Clark's like, <laughs> Well, he's like, you know, what about the kids? He's like, Well, those kids can fend for themselves. Like, <laughs> just like <laughs> I love uh, I also Brady do Clark. love characters that take things literally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's a soft spot for that. <laughs> How about you, Will? Do you have a favorite character? Hmm. I don't know, man. Aunt Becky really had it for me with the uh with her her uh form of grace. That was oh, pretty Anthony. good. <laughs> yeah. She just cracks me up, man. I don't know. I think it was just the fact that she was always so cheerful. She was com- a complete space cadet because I guess supposed to maybe just not really have all their marbles anymore but like i don't know she was just one of the happiest people there it didn't matter what was going on so i think for me i think to some extent though i really i like um ellen clark's wife uh just because she stays so calm despite all the crazy stuff that happens she is sort of the voice of reason that just never gets listened to though every time that clark gets it in his head that he (laughs) wants to do something he just completely ignores what she says which uh, take that as you will uh, for any stereotype of, of typical uh, cisgendered hetero dudes, but that's, I, I don't know, that seems to track pretty well. But the, uh, <laughs> I feel like that, and then, yeah, so between those two, it'd either have to be Becky or it would be Ellen for me. So to this day, um, anytime somebody at our dinner tables, like, who wants to say Grace? Without missing a beat, somebody is going to say, Grace, she passed away 30 years ago. <laughs> it, just, it, it is awesome. inevitable. Somebody in my family will will pipe up with, uh, with that joke. Um, I think those are both good picks. Do uh, they also for... go into the Pledge of Allegiance? Um, <laughs> that would anger some of my more religious relatives, probably. Okay. That's maybe a step too far, but... I think if I'm feeling froggy or I've had one too many drinks that I can blame it on next time, maybe I'll, I'll see how that goes. But, um, Do it. <laughs> uh, for me, it's 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 hands down cousin Eddie. I think, he, like I said, he's got the best lines uh, in the film. He pretty much steals the show once he arrives. Like I feel like the film is kind of sort of missing something up until his arrival, and then like once he gets there. I feel like it fires on all all cylinders because Clark has a, a foil and um <clears throat> I just uh I love his earnestness, you know, he's talking about uh his his kids like preparing for his future and he's like college, he's like nah, carnival <laughs> and then just his little like little speeches and stuff uh he is 
completely earnest and and uh proud of of his family and what they have in, in his own way and um has has absolutely no shame and it leads to some absolutely great moments um so yeah it's cousin eddie for sure and nice. i think what, what does clark say it's like his heart's bigger than his brain um which <laughs> thank is you a, <laughs> yeah it's a great way to describe that that, that character I wanted to see if either of you have like a standout scene next. So just kind of talk about like if you had a favorite because this really largely is like one sort of isolated scene that is like about something stupid or funny that happens after like the plot is very loose on this movie, like admittedly. Um, So does anybody have a favorite or I should say, made you have a favorite um, scene that stood out to you? Yeah, actually, it's maybe the only sincere. I mean, I guess the ending is somewhat sincere with the boss coming in and like agreeing to give him bonuses. But uh, besides that, I feel like the only actual kind of like sweet, sincere scene is when Clark gets locked in the attic and he's like looking around, putting on any clothes he can find, and he finds old tapes from his like family Christmases. And he's like sitting there watching them and like seems genuinely moved. And it's like kind of the only uh, time he seems to kind of like let down the wall of anger and sarcasm for a moment. And so I thought that was kind of sweet. And then of course he uh, drops through the ceiling, but <laughs> <laughs> of course, briefly, yeah. it is sincere. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a great pick. Um, again, like we'll, we'll get to like him um, in a second, but like it, it is always been well now I'll, I'll, I'll save this until we talk about him. I don't want to like d- go down too far down a tangent. I promise we'll come back to that. Uh, Will, how about you? I think it's a toss up. There's um, I really like for like the sort of the sincere moment kind of off of what May was mentioning. I really like the um, the scene where Clark is talking to Ruby Sue, who's the daughter of uh, of Eddie. And when there she's just kind of explaining to him about not believing in Santa Claus and he's trying to convince her that Santa Claus is real. And it's just, I don't know. There was something just very touching about that little exchange together. And it was still funny too, but it wasn't as sort of slapstick over the top as everything else. It was like a very grounded moment. So I appreciated that. But conversely, I also really liked the fact, and I'm a cat lover, so I'll admit that before saying this, but the scene that we've got, that I've got up behind me for those who are watching our YouTube video um, is where the uh a cat that has been brought in also i believe by aunt bethany right got repackaged it's her cat (laughs) yeah uh gets starts uh screwing around with the christmas tree which i'm immediately thinking okay so how's the cat gonna you know bite it uh pulls out a cord or something and the tree goes off so clark goes over reconnects it and instantly fries the cat underneath the chair and so they pull the chair back and see like just this scorch mark like it's a cartoon of this of this dead animal and i don't know something about that i just thought was really funny in a morbid way because i've known of cats in my extended family that have like met untimely demises underneath chairs so i think there was just something about that that i related to (laughs) strangely enough in terms of cringe comedy that didn't phase me nearly as much as some of the other stuff but yeah so there's that. I think what? it's the Looney. Oh, go ahead. What kind of chairs do you have, Will? Uh, so it wasn't it wasn't anything that we like that I was responsible for. I'm I'm not trying to like incriminate myself, but there was like a there's a I think was, on my wife's side, I want to say there was a family member who inadvertently sat on a chair and crushed a cat. 
I was underneath like a rocker and didn't realize that the cat was there. And it was so quick that it was just like he was gone. And so in some ways, you know, it's something that was sad like that to then see it sort of made into a cartoon in this film seemed a little more. I don't know. Again, I say it's morbid, right? But it's sort of like the circumstances behind it. For some reason, I found it much more humorous to sort of laugh at in this film versus like the reality of what that would be like so yeah it's the it's looney tune effect right like yeah. mm-hmm. the, the, there's the outline like of the the, the, the cat like and it, it is very cartoony so mm-hmm. yeah no i'm with you like it, it just goes to show i guess like it's all about like editing and sort of like how something like that is presented where it can be like comedic fodder or like really sad depending on but yeah that's a pretty good one. Uh, and then, of course, like the follow up lines of like, again, Eddie coming in with the best line of like, Woo, if that cat had nine lives, you just spend them all like, <laughs> like it's so great. Yeah, it's so great. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good one. Um, I don't know. I think mm, it's so hard for me to pick because I've seen this movie, like, like I said, probably dozens of times, like, honestly, um a standout scene for me like that maybe a favorite but i'll just pick a standout is like the arrival of all the relatives just mm-hmm. all the little snippets of dialogue especially with like the older parents the old like the older i get the more i relate to of like immediately we're launching into like health problems and like i've got hemorrhoids and they just took a pint of fluid out of my <laughs> lower back and like rusty if you rub my bunion i'll give you a quarter and like all that stuff like and just it it i think perfectly contrasts like what clark has in his mind with like the reality like right at like off the rip of like oh okay this is what it's gonna be like uh in reality but that seems always very funny to me because I, I like anybody that can pull off overlapping dialogue which is harder than you would think like in a movie very few directors do it robert altman was super famous for it. the guy made mash in nashville um, and I think that part works really well and you can get a lot out of it. Like kind of the more you listen to it or the more you watch that scene. So, so, uh, we've kind of touched on it already, but I do want to talk about Clark Griswold as a character, because I feel like there's so many inconsistencies with this guy. You uh, both have talked about sort of earnest, sincere, sweet moments with him, which you're like, okay, like this is a guy that's trying to do like this nice thing for all these people and wants to make it like a nice Christmas. He's putting an FRA offers Eddie to help give the, the kids Christmas. And then you have like him in the lingerie department of like the department store and some of his like outbursts or even like, I I've always found it uh, again, as I've gotten older, especially like some of his little sidebar comments to Eddie are really nasty and judgmental like you know uh, again like i understand that like there's somebody that you didn't plan on coming to your house and he's imposing but he's uh he's really kind of elitist and and, like sarcastic and nasty to eddie so i wanted to get your thoughts about sort of that uh the the two sides of that character and what you make of all that i always get a little bit of whiplash with clark griswold Mm -hmm. because i don't ever know what to fully make of him and it's hard for me to fully ever root for him because he'll do something shitty after doing something nice and i'm like what am i supposed to make of this so uh may back to you thoughts on clark griswold yeah so i want to go back to something will said with like cringe depending on like either being close enough that something is recognizable and sympathetic or far away enough you can just kind of 
like be so far outside the situation you can point and laugh. Yeah. And I feel like part of the reason this movie didn't land for me was like I recognize Clark and people I've known in a bad way. And so it's just as like, uh, I don't want to think I don't want to be reminded of this. <laughs> it's fair. Yeah. Um, like I I don't see those things as character inconsistencies necessarily. I feel like a lot of men of this era were kind of like expected to have a family like Clark has, whether or not that fit their actual desires. <laughs> so I think that's part of why you see the nastiness and the infidelity and stuff like that is just like he's in this life that he doesn't necessarily maybe fully want. Um, and it just comes out in all the worst ways. That being said, like uh, I remember having genuine anxiety during parts of the like road rage thing or like during his violent outbursts because I've, I've been around guys that have done that or you know been afraid in those situations and yeah just like a little uncomfortably close to home so I didn't like Clark um I laughed whenever he got hurt but that was about it <laughs> <laughs> I, I think too like we you know we as an audience we try not to like uh bring uh like our outside understanding of like a, an actor like Chevy Chase into the understanding of the role but I, uh, the more that like I learn about Chevy Chase and stuff it's hard not to kind of do that a little bit to project a bit of that and uh I think that also makes it tough for him um but you say you know so I think it's an interesting point of like maybe he wasn't he's not built for family life. Right. And it's more of like a thing of the times, but it's weird because there are scenes like where they try really hard to make you as an audience member think that like, he wants to be like the best possible, like dad and like husband, right? Like whether they're successful or not, like is a totally different issue, but they try at least to like put him forth. Right. As somebody who he's doing like all he's putting in the pool for like his family, he wants to fly them all out. <laughs> And then you contrast that with some of his other behaviors and it, it like, it doesn't always like work for me. Um, is it, I mean, are those things really for his family or is it for him to kind of like get an ego boost? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting question. I don't know that I have like <laughs> an answer and like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to keep the context of it to like this film, right? Like, right. cause the other vacation uh, entries sort of have, a similar premise just with a different um packaging so wanting to do like a family trip versus like here whether it's kind of a stay-at-home thing but it's always the same thing where like he has the idea and like what he wants it to be and then of course the reality of it's totally different but um similarly in those films they do try to kind of present it as like he wants everyone to have a good time and experience uh the things that he loved growing up or maybe things he didn't get to experience as he was growing up and, and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know that they're always successful in that, but will, what, what do you make of Clark Griswold? I think Clark needed the internet for porn. I think that would have solved his problem real <laughs> fast. No, I, um, I mean, I, I, Honestly. Do actually think that, yeah. I think that would have really just, that would have solved so many problems. Uh, but yeah, off of that, I, I think it is an ego thing because, I mean, when he thinks about the pool, it's not like he really, I don't know, he was so excited to do it. He put down a deposit when he was banking on having money that we all knew the setup just based on it, like on it now, you could tell like something bad is going to happen. So that and the the fact that it's like, they, I mean, from the very beginning, they go out to get the tree 
and his daughter's cold but he doesn't care you know she's like literally freezing and it's like oh don't worry you know she'll warm up later kind of a thing or puts his son to work setting up all these christmas lights which apparently seems to take like all afternoon or all day depending on how you want to look at it and then becomes obsessed with trying to get them fixed when nothing will light up um is so yeah i don't know i think it is an ego thing he doesn't really seem to i mean he seems to have this vision of what happiness will be like when it's all done and i think even what uh ellen had made the comment at one point where it's like nothing ever lives up to his expectations and he's like oh you know when is that ever been a thing and she starts rattling off this whole list and then he's just like i'm going to bed <laughs> <laughs> like completely shuts down doesn't want to face reality so i'm like ah, yeah it's 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 the ego thing for me too may I'd, I'd have to agree ellie does too i don't know if you can hear her <laughs> i appreciate it you tell him ellie um yeah it's funny that you mentioned the internet porn thing because uh a detail that like i have you know always noticed is that like Initially, when he's having sort of the pool fantasy with the lingerie, you know, salesperson um, on the diving board, you're like, oh, like he's, you know, he's masturbating. Right. Uh, but no, like when the little girl comes in, like I, I remember being alarmed. Where I was like, oh, but his hands are very clearly like on the wall. And I have no doubt that that they wanted like no ambiguity about that. Like mm. she's not walking into like a grown man, like masturbating at his window. Like, so his hands are very strategically placed, like high up on the wall. There's no question about it, which uh, I've always found to be an interesting little uh, detail about and probably a smart choice on their part. Um, honestly, the scene would probably be a lot less touching, you know, the one that follows where he's talking about Santa Claus and all of that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, it's like I, I have very mixed feelings about Clark Griswold. I actually really love um, all of the original run, like of the vacation films, uh, even though I am the first to admit that some of them have aged like absolutely terribly or some bits of them have aged terribly, I should say, um, just because there are like still things that are incredibly funny. Um, but he's always been kind of just a, a, a jerk. Like there's a similar kind of plot line that it where in the original vacation he sees uh it's christy brinkley like was like just becoming sort of a thing in a ferrari like over and over like on their road trip and then like in the hotel or the motel where he's staying out with his wife like decides to go skinny dipping with her because they've had a fight and she's like wanting to sleep with him and ellen comes out and like finds them and like obviously is like pissed that they're like skinny dipping together and then like sort of the way that that movie handles that is um like obviously he's like ah, i shouldn't be here i'm sorry and um they almost like play it off like um i don't know not that it's like ellen's fault but like i don't know like it's just it hasn't aged very well and it's one of those moments uh in that series and there's several of which where you're like you're kind of a bad husband you know and not a great father um that being said i do think there are bits about the character that I, that work when he's not being nasty like some of his sarcasm is funny uh the idea behind clark griswold as a character is not necessarily a bad one of wanting to do 
like a father, you know, husband, whatever, wanting to put on like a great vacation or it's something that is like relatable. Again, I think the question is more or less like how successfully do they, you know, uh, pull that off, right. With making him uh, sympathetic. And I don't think he's entirely again, like with more time and distance, I, I feel colder towards Clark Griswold than I do like other characters in the, in the movie. So I'm glad that like, you know, obviously uh, it's about as subtle as like a, a sledgehammer, but that you all picked up on that too, where there, there is some sort of inconsistencies and um, his personality traits. Yeah. Going out with the, with the chainsaw was a little, uh, I don't know, would not have felt safe. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I, I held my breath when he like, turns when his son comes out and he lays running the same chainsaw and suddenly turns to talk to the son and i was like oh wait no this is this is pg-13 he'll be fine (laughs) good talk dad i do like the little shout out to the movie that we uh had a 50 50 shot of watching which is it's a wonderful life where uh the character of george bailey is annoyed by a loose uh newell post um in that film (laughs) So it's a little shout out when he just chainsaws it off um, <laughs> in this one. Um, nice. So weird little Easter egg. Um, little... I, I I don't know what you have planned next, Chris, but I would at some point love to talk about Ellen as well as the character. Yeah, no, please. I um, I only had one other quick thing to uh, to touch on. So that's a great uh, a great follow up to Clark. Yeah, because like I, I love her. I think Beverly D'Angelo did a fantastic job playing her. Um but it's just like, yeah, I think similar to to Clark, she's kind of the almost a a parody of the like infinitely patient and intelligent wife, which are like good character traits, but she feels very stiff because that's all she can be. <laughs> I kind of I kind of was hoping that like when he's having his fantasy scene, she'd get to go have her own. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think uh, what the the equivalent would be. Um maybe like a, a nice fireman i don't know <laughs> like, i don't know she's ta- she's thinking time. about that pool there's a really hot lifeguard I- there you go <laughs> <laughs> yeah i want to say she gets her revenge so to speak and i might be mixing up my movies but i feel like in vegas vacation uh it's like wayne newton like seduces her and like like is like like whining and dining her and stuff and like it's kind of an inverse of roles you know we're talking like mid 90s at this point so things are progressing a little bit like progressing a little bit in terms of like film stereotypes and whatnot progress but... women's infidelity yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> but they, they do allow her to kind of be that person a little bit and for once clark has to sort of like sweat it and deal with the fact that you know he's had shitty behavior and it's maybe having poor effects on on her no yeah. beverly, beverly d'angelo is great i think he's a, he's a moron personally like uh she's a beautiful woman she solves half of his fucking problems for him um like uh, like why why are you going out for hamburgers when you got you know prime rib at home baby like he's just an <laughs> amazing and beverly d'angelo is so fucking funny too like um in all these movies but like in some of the other stuff she's done too of course but yeah she's just her facial expressions are great yeah yeah definitely I, I, of course, as somebody who's struggled with smoking my entire life, sympathize with the like <laughs> her, like immediately just reaching out for the back. That's all that probably been up there for, for a few months. You know, it's her emergency stash and just like lighting up. And she's like, "It's Christmas, so we're all in misery." And then the mom's like, "Are you smoking?" And she puts it out and is like, "No," <laughs> and chops the lettuce. It's great stuff. Yeah, I'm trying to think like 
what else about uh the character of ellen she seems to be a more gracious host like the thing that always does my head in is like this whole thing is clark's idea and he's all he's fucking miserable the entire movie about all these people that are there uh, like right and it's like this was your idea man like it's not like they invited themselves except for cousin eddie like he's the only one that does it uh, i think ellen's a much more gracious host like she is constantly reminding him to be polite and it might be his last christmas and you know um she kind of brings the idea to clark about doing presents for the kids you know that kind of thing so you like ellen will as a character oh yeah she's great I love the fact that she was sort of not the first person, but the second person to flip the right switch so that all of his lights finally came on for the decorations outside. It may not have like been something that anybody realized that was the fix, but she like the fact that she's the one to do it after having tried to help him and he's still there fighting about the same piece over and over again, like that's somehow going to fix it. <laughs> like the definition of crazy is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. And so for her, she goes off and does something else and it works that he's still there arguing over that same chord. And I'm like, yeah, this pretty much explains this whole dynamic. <laughs> yeah. The first one is by accident, but she goes out there with a purpose. Like she has the light bulb moment where she like, like literally where she, goes into the garage with a purpose and like knows like what it is that's going to to fix yeah. it also they need way more surge protectors dude holy shit <laughs> i was waiting <laughs> right? for something to catch on fire from that so everything's daisy chained <laughs> oh man right well the uh the last like topic i have and this is really only if it's relevant but i talked at the top of the show about um, one of the reasons that this movie has endured as a classic for me and is still kind of relatable uh, is some of the more like recognizable like family uh, dynamics or not really dynamic so much as like situations and uh, sometimes the best gatherings or vacations uh, can still be disastrous but have like fond memories and that kind of thing. I wanted to know if either of you two have like either like a recognizable like relative or like dynamic or something in here that did strike you like something that hit any kind of close to home and you don't have to say names or out yourself uh you can keep it fun here i don't want you to call out like toxic relatives or anything <laughs> if you're not wanting to but like i've already like very graciously inserted a family member's like cat murder so <laughs> you know, yeah. the bar has been set it's not pretty hard to clear <laughs> we can cut that if you want like i don't have to keep member i can always chop that out if, if you're like oh, second no, thought. it's fine okay that's fine i'm good okay <laughs> how about you mate is there anything that struck you as like somewhat close to home either in characters or, or situations um i guess uh so i i'll be honest i hate the holidays usually uh there are just it's it never blows up like it does in this movie but there's always just like a lot of old arguments and tension and stuff so i do relate to like when they're all sitting down to eat and just trying to make it through the fucking meal <laughs> without anything else jerky. going wrong <laughs> yeah it's like that's yeah that's that's what my holidays feel like it's just like everyone's just trying to make it through the day without some bomb going off <laughs> I've, I've certainly had holidays like that so i i can understand yeah that's that's not always uh always fun um and i think what makes that scene in the film like especially miserable is that like nothing is really like well the, the main dish is like not cooked well <laughs> so you can't even enjoy like 
the the joy of like having a you know a delicious like moist turkey it's just jerky basically that they're crunching on and dipping in gravy i i think i've kind of already shared like where how like you know like on a in general terms like how this relates to i guess my childhood and, and growing up and things like that um i will say like well outbursts and sort of yelling and cursing and screaming uh, aside I do sympathize like sometimes with uh, Clark in that like it, it can be, you know, it can feel horrible, like a disaster sometimes when things don't go right when you're hosting something. So again, getting older, um, like when like, you plan to have like a big function and something goes terribly wrong, like the pressure of that and sort of like how anxi- how anxious it can make you uh, is something that I relate to more as an adult than I probably did as a kid. Right. Where it's like, as a kid, you're like, yeah, that, that man's just, he's yelling and screaming. Like, that's funny as an adult. I'm like, Oh, that's a little, that's, I, I know that feeling, you know, you hope that it doesn't get to that point where there's an outburst, but um, so I do relate to that a bit more, which is a great way. How uh, one of the things I love about films is that as you change, and grow as a person, you know, different things speak to you. So <laughs> the, the last thing I can relate to is the arguing over what size Christmas tree will actually fit in the house. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. That's always a fun one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Amazing. Or what size you need sometimes, because like, yeah. depending on how size your ceilings are, how big your living room is, or in some cases in the past for us, it's like, how long are we going to be actually in town to enjoy this thing that has played a factor before? It's like, we're going to be gone two weeks you know out of the the four that we're gonna enjoy this thing maybe let's just go small like this year so i feel that oh uh you know quickly the yuppie neighbors like julie louis dreyfus and uh nicholas guest like i i enjoy those characters i think they like are a good sounding board for some of the funnier like lines or comedy or whatever um i i gotta shout out because marianne always like laughs hysterically at like how like much it doesn't make sense and it's a lot of it's to do with the lighting but when the lights are coming on and off and they just fall down for like no reason like like it's like oh um and again i know it's because they have to like allow you as the audience member to see where they are but it, it is right. kind of a silly stupid scene of like just like i'm just suddenly going to trip for no reason like <laughs> because the lights have gone off or come on um but it's good to see, like, a, a, like you know, this would have been the same year Seinfeld aired uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Like, she's great, as always. Uh, but what did you think of the Yuppie Neighbors? I got to ask that, since they, they do feature pretty prominently. I feel like I'm I'm a little bit too removed from that cultural moment to totally get why they're there. Um, they're, I, I mean, I, I was entertained, actually, during the light sequence. But... <laughs> yeah, no, it's entertaining, for sure. It's just, it's one of those, like movie magic things where you're like ah like i get what they're going for <laughs> it's, it does look a bit silly but yeah, yeah i would i would con- encourage them to put some of their uh, money towards better blinds but you know maybe a bulletproof glass uh given who they live <laughs> next door to you yeah um so to contextualize like so the yuppie movement was like largely seen as like a, a like selfish cu- culture right so they're meant to be uh, a stark contrast to Clark. So it's the two of them, no kids. Something now that a lot of people kind of view as like the the dream, depending, you know, like like as as societal Guilty. norms have, have shifted. <laughs> yeah, I mean, same. Not that I don't like kids. Kids are fine, just not for me. Um, but like that's what they're kind of meant to be. Is like, look at these two people who like just want to live their like life like free of like kids, and of course they like 
they're caricatures in a way because they don't want a Christmas tree and then oh maybe we do and like all their stuff is very like fancy and you know they're meant to kind of just be like these like selfish like snobs um that live next door and just the antithesis of what Clark and his family stands for. Um I will point out that they're pretty much the victims of like every like bit of like they don't really I mean yes they're dicks but like nothing that happens to them is something they necessarily like deserve, you know. Uh, so I do sometimes feel a little teensy bit bad for them just trying to enjoy their holidays in the way they can and nope i don't even feel like they're that rude isn't the first thing you hear like the first interaction they have with clark is him basically threatening to shove a tree up their ass (laughs) like (laughs) they do they do instigate that like by saying like where do you think you're gonna put a tree that big like griswold like a little bit antagonistic i feel like it's a justified like and you get the big escalation There's been some you can tell there's been some tension there before it is a funny thing to say like bend over and i'll show you uh i love that i liked them yeah. <laughs> i was gonna say yeah they're just living their life man they got all the stuff they want they're happy and then some you know maniac from next door just like damages their property and assaults them <laughs> with all yeah, but, <laughs> but it's not it's their dog so you yeah. know yeah oh i do i well i'll I'll come to it a second but yeah overall in answer to your question i do like their neighbors um and i feel bad for them because ultimately yeah even if they're kind of antagonistic like by today's standards man they're so tame and in some ways they're the victims so i think almost totally like Like, a couple of sarcastic words is not worth your stereo being broken a tree coming through your window like no. again i'm gonna say them tripping down the, the stairs and shit that's kind of their like like uh, like may say get some better blinds maybe just don't stop walking if the lights go off don't just like fall over <laughs> like yeah absolutely getting mauled by a dog i feel like all that is firmly like them in the victim uh column there we go oh yeah and i apologize there's a helicopter a plane or something going overhead right now so one moment What'd you do man <laughs> We've had two films with SWAT teams hey, back look, to back. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to have the cops break in my house right now. Okay, like <laughs> the uh, yeah, the um, <laughs> the yeah. I feel like ultimately, I uh, I don't know. Clark may enjoy that bonus for now, but he's going to end up having to use that to pay for like insurance claims, right? Like after this is all over, yeah, yeah. lawsuits. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. But yeah, I think the only other thing that came to mind, and I'm glad that you mentioned kind of the end of the film, was it would be re- wouldn't it be nice if like you had a disagreement with your boss <laughs> and the solution was somehow to hold them hostage on Christmas Eve <laughs> and suddenly they would see the light and become like Ebenezer Scrooge and suddenly decide, you know what, that's fine. Whatever we were gonna pay you before, just add 20% to it. And then the cops show up and he's still like, nope, I've learned my lesson. And I'm like, this is so out of left field as like a way to to like resolve everything. It was like it was so innocent and it was in some ways kind of nice after all the crazy stuff that had come before. But I just thought this is so random. Like for only this would happen in a film like this where it was like, yep, it's okay. You know what? I fucked up. You're right. The message is largely like money will solve all your problems too. Like (laughs) it's kind of the message there. Like, yeah, yeah. Not that I'm advocating anybody try and like abduct their boss at Christmas. We'll just go ahead and just say that now for legal purposes on this podcast. (laughs) Yeah. No killing of cats. No abducting your boss. (laughs) Please do not hit on anybody at the beauty counter. Um, 
be very kind to your spouse. I, all right. Anything else that I missed? Don't don't abuse your children. And yeah. also, yeah, that's that's it. I, don't, I think I'm good. <laughs> we won't be held liable for any, you know, results uh, by doing this. But how do you know that you like won't get a consequence free like bonus if you kidnap your boss? I'm saying like go out and try it. Like if you're feeling so just inclined, once, you never know. You never know. I mean, you only I'm not once, responsible man. for whatever happens. But yeah, parody, parody. <laughs> just make sure you put a boom around them so they know it's a christmas uh, kidnapping <laughs> yeah that's right get your you know yeah get your brother to do it and it's fine you know yeah <laughs> okie dokie well thanks for talking about one of the stupidest but uh definitely one of my favorite movies uh it is totally okay if it didn't land for you i always know it's a roll of the dice so that's why i give my disclaimer and uh I recognize again a lot of rose-colored glasses uh kind of stuff going on here having seen this like probably the first time when i'm six but i'm glad you guys got to watch it you'll understand if nothing else all the stupid cultural references to it uh so there you go let's have a little game of pitch storm who uh who's gonna host oh, by the way oh will's already reaching he's like hey, oh okay like... quick draw <laughs> i was going to offer but <laughs> no we good so who wants to go first or do we want to flip a coin? Um, I'll let May choose. I'll, Would you rather go first, or I was I was going to say we should flip a coin. <laughs> okay, I've got one on the game board here, or I can put one on the game. Board oh, let's do go it. Go for it. Yeah, flip it on the game board. I call heads. Okie dokie. Call heads, and there is video evidence. It is heads. All right. Cool. Uh, and I think I've got everything in order here. So you wanted to choose a person or a plot, I think was the two, right? You yes. could select. I would like to choose a person first. Cool. All right. Or a character. I don't know if all the characters are people. That is valid. You might end up with an animal or maybe even a brave little toaster. So let's see. Okay. <laughs> All right, so your first three options are for a person to have a magical nanny for a wealthy family. Okay. A snobby art critic. Or a has-been professional wrestler. Oh, Ooh. professional wrestler, for sure. Hell yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so just as a recap, that is a has-been professional wrestler tries to stop a ferry boat from sinking. Your time starts now. All right, so we have a film starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson set in uh, the jungles of the Amazon. (laughs) Dwayne has moved to the Amazon after retiring from a star-studded wrestling career uh, to live a quiet life of uh, leading expeditions through the jungle. One day, he sees a ferry boat in distress. It's going quickly down the river, approaching rapids and a waterfall. What will Dwayne do? Well, I'm going to stop you right there and say, also, let's add a really hot love interest. Like, we want this to be the perfect date movie. As Dwayne is swimming into the river to save the ferry boat, he becomes what he does best, a rock, and stops it from flying down the river. Unfortunately, 
the impact causes a beautiful woman to fall over the side of the boat and he must choose between the most beautiful woman he's seen in his life and every other person on this boat. Uh, Cool. Classic. If you want to, if you want to finish that last thought, yeah, you can. Stay tuned. All right. All right. Cut place for the trailer. (laughs) Right. Some epic music behind it. Yeah. All right. Cool. 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 All right. Hmm. Who would you have play opposite The Rock? Oh, Scarlett Johansson, of course. (laughs) No, that will be noted. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. May, thank you. Thank you. All right, Chris, it is your turn, sir. Would you prefer to choose a person or a plot? Mm. I'm going to do person as well. Awesome. A character or option. Ah, that is true. I'll be specific about that. A character, not a, a person. You could either choose a witch living on the edge of town a beguiling cult leader or a genie trapped in a magic lamp. Oh, these are all like supernatural, man. Um, mm-hmm. Do I want to go a genie cult leader? Uh, I'm going to go with a cult leader. Seems like it has the most potential. I really have the plot as something super mundane. <laughs> <laughs> a cult leader takes his dog to the store. No, uh, tries to run an ice cream shop. <laughs> hey, I like that one. Oh, all right, dude. Hold up. <laughs> a cult leader fights in bloody gladiator death matches. Just as a recap, a beguiling cult leader fights in bloody gladiator death matches. Your time starts now. All right. So this film stars Woody Harrelson as a beguiling <laughs> cult leader. Uh, his uh, cult name is the House of a Thousand Nipples. And uh, he fights in a garb with just the nipples exposed. Uh, and the way he recruits uh, other people is, um, well, he uh, kills them. And then he also has necromantic powers or necromatic powers. So he I'm going to stop them. you right there, sir. And I also think, all right, so what you got is great. That's cool. But I think we also need to make sure that we include with the main character, he needs to have a Samson galaxy to save the day. All right. We need to have a deal with we have a deal with samson so you gotta you gotta put that well uh as a great marketing ploy for their next phone uh that is how he resurrects the people that he kills and recruits as he plugs in the samsung galaxy pulls up the app and just hits one button resurrect and up they go uh and that's how he recruits his his members um uh, oddly enough they are against um iphone users so that is the main target of their sort of like harassment and you know antagonist so it'll be an army of iphone Ding. users ah, all right. you can finish your thought go go for it i was gonna say versus a bunch of samsung galaxy users for the climactic final battle so wow <laughs> well you have to give that to chris i will not accept it <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Yours is pretty funny too. I'm just imagining Dwayne the Rock Johnson turning into a rock <laughs> to stop the ferry boat is pretty great. I feel like on the one hand, we've got yeah, we've got something that's very much like 
very very good at, at being like self-parodying so i feel like may your your stuff is good like i i i would definitely watch that as well chris <laughs> i think yours edged just a little bit farther on the on the scale so i'm gonna have to go with you and woody harrelson and the nipples man it's uh it's i think it's <laughs> the house of a thousand nipples oh man does woody harrelson I... have to have like a thousand nipples for this movie <laughs> I, I just, just like imagine the two, just the he two, wears right? robes just with the nipples <laughs> exposed. <and> like, <laughs> that's just their their thing. Um, yeah, I wish somebody could animate these for us. Like, you know, so if, if we have any animators out there and you want to, like, go back and animate some of our pitch storm ideas, like, please, I would love to see it. That is oh, my God. So, get in touch with, like, the guys that did, like, Drunk History <laughs> and just be like, who is your who are your folks? Because those yeah. guys were pretty solid. So shout out to Drunk History, by the way. But... I love that show. <laughs> May, you have our final film of the year, which is also a Christmas film. Yes. What have you got cooked up for Will and I? I'm being nice because I'm only picking the first movie, not the whole trilogy. But we will be watching A Christmas Prince. A Christmas Prince. Oh, yeah. I believe this has come Net- up on the podcast before, hasn't it? Yes, not? it has. Uh, it's a <laughs> Netflix original. came out in 2017. Um, it is Netflix's stab at a Hallmark movie. Um, if you have not seen a Hallmark Christmas movie or kind of know what they're about, I would recommend watching one before watching this as contrast. It's like you married a Hallmark movie with a like very cheesy thriller. Uh, <laughs> it has a dear place in my heart. And uh, yeah, I hope you guys enjoy it. I can't fucking wait, honestly, <laughs> after the original discussion about this film. Um, I have seen a well, I, I need preface. I have not sat down and like intentionally like, you know, put on a Hallmark movie, but being, you know, at like other people's homes for Christmas and they've been on, I've seen sort of like probably two or three bits and pieces like you know uh, maybe not the entire films but enough to to definitely get the the general gist which seems to usually be like returning to a hometown a unlikely romance that happens right that's that's a pretty typical plot line mm-hmm. yeah, yeah and it's always it, it's always it's always some woman it's in like a very high up professional busy job but is feeling unfulfilled in her personal life and the ultimate solution is that she needs to get married and move back to her small town and be a mom so (laughs) this plays with that a little bit yeah (laughs) (laughs) all right well hopefully she gets filled in this this (laughs) you'll find out Uh, oh yeah um (laughs) but no i'm looking forward to this because uh I'm I'm hoping you don't have to say well, one way or the other. I'm hoping they play with some conventions a little bit with this. Um, and even if they don't, it'll be fine. But uh, I did see like a collection of cover art from Hallmark movies and like they are strikingly like similar, like down to like the color choices and like clothing articles. Like so usually green and red for like, you know, each of the characters and like the positioning and stuff. So I'm looking forward yeah. to it. who's in this one again. Remind me. Uh, so we have Rose McIver as uh-huh. our leading lady, uh, and Ben Lamb as the prince. Okay, fair enough. I, I was not aware this is a franchise, so 
Uh, could we see a Christmas Prince multiverse like at the way things are going in, in Hollywood right now? Is it going to intersect with like another Christmas uh, franchise like, down it, the road? It, it could. The sequels are, uh, well, I don't want to spoil the first movie. Anyway, it has sequels. And okay. um, I actually haven't seen them yet. I will be watching them before the podcast just so I can give you guys <laughs> context. But from what I've heard, it is similar to what I talked about with the Fifty Shades of Grades sequels just less mm. bdsm so <laughs> that's disappointing christmas bdsm is the best kind of bdsm <laughs> there's so many great things wrapping paper and ribbons and now just kidding <laughs> um if you had to pick uh um another christmas franchise for this to to be part of a multiverse i want you to think between podcasts on <laughs> how can we how can we uh expand the ip it's just a fun little exercise so get back to us on that i mean i my answer is pretty obvious it'd be the Die Hard franchise oh really sweet <laughs> <laughs> wow that would be a trip. All right. well once we watch this we'll have to we'll have to talk about that on i'll explain my answer after <laughs> perfect i love it all righty <laughs> Well, thank you, audience, once again, for joining us for a, another film discussion. As I said, uh, next week's episode will be our final one of the year. We'll probably go on a brief hiatus. I'm thinking like anywhere from one to three weeks, depending on what happens behind the scenes with holiday plans and things like that. We will be back in 2023. Um, probably with, I'm hoping at least like some expansion on some side quests, um, and some, some main quests as well. We're going to build those piles back up a little bit. Uh, but I can tell you our first episode will, uh, be a little bit of a celebration. So we'll talk about some statistics and things from our first year of doing the podcast, but until next time, we love you. Thanks for supporting the show and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye, guys.